all thou that hearest uh, our prayers, O God. Help me to offer a testimony for thyself and uh, to leave us, all of us, Lord, without excuse, Lord, in neglecting of your mercy. Give me the freedom to open the sorrows of uh, thy people and to be set before them, comforting considerations. Attend with the power the truth preached and awaken the attention of any slothful person in this place. May thy people be refreshed, melted, convicted, comforted, and help me to use the strongest arguments drawn from your word, that we might be made holy. We come before thy throne of grace, that you may give us mercy and grace in this moment of our need. And I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. 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 <clears throat> We've been doing together the book of First uh, Peter. This is the last chapter of the book of Peter. And this is an interesting uh, text, especially for today, uh, because I, I'm not sure who here is willing to become a shepherd one day. So it's more directed to the shepherd, especially the first few verses. But above all, it is a someone that will help you identify, maybe for example, you are looking for someone who is supposed to shepherd you or to flock you. How will you determine the person that you want to preach the word of God to you? The someone will be helpful for you to decide, especially when you are looking for a local faithful church uh, and how a shepherd sh should look like, uh, what he's supposed to do to his people, what are his characters, and so on. And above all, the, the last verses uh, there of our text today on humility for all of us. Why do we need to be humble as we are here? Uh, I think Lawrence, Patrick, and uh, Mark have been also part of those that has been, have been teaching us through this uh, uh, book. And I tend to believe that we've learned much. And especially on uh, suffering as a Christian, standing firm. Our goal is that we stand firm in, in the grace of God each and every day of our lives. And we've been reminded every time we've met here of what Christ has done and how we are to live because of what Christ has done for us. But how we are to live our Christian life, our motivation is what Christ has done for us. And that's always how Peter has been writing this book. And I think if, if you've been looking at this book, Peter keeps on repeating himself. And you wonder, why is he repeating himself? Telling us to be suffering. Why is he telling us all these things, repeating each and every time? Suffer for doing good. Do good. Why? Because Peter wanted them to understand. And I think repetition is a way to make people understand what actually the author means in each of the things that he or she writes. And that's why Peter keeps on repeating so many things here. And we'll be able to see some of them uh, in these steps today. First Peter 5.1 So I exalt so. The word so means so that means that he, it is a continuation of something. So that means that First Peter chapter 5 verse 1 comes from the previous verses. And previous verses are in First Peter chapter 4 uh, and especially from verse 12 to 19. Whereby Peter is asking them and is telling them that they should suffer as a Christian. And they should not be surprised by suffering. It should not come to them as something that is new or strange. That even if they suffer according to the will of God, 
there is a glory that will be revealed unto them. And he is telling them, especially in 1 Peter 4.17, for, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Then verse 19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. So we are suffering, yes, but not in our own ways, but according to God's will, and especially of doing good, as you saw in previous texts. But therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. First Peter 4.19, that we are to entrust our souls to our faithful creator while doing good. It's not that we are just entrusting our souls to our creator, but we are entrusting the, our souls to the creator while doing what? Doing good. That's where now we go to 5.1. Therefore, after he's saying that, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So I exhort you. Therefore, I encourage you, the elders, uh, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Notice here, Paul was an apostle, but he doesn't appear in this text as the apostles of apostles as the great king, as the great pope, as the greatest among the elders here. But there is a way Peter comes out. And he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He doesn't say as the apostle who is above you. But he's saying, me, as your fellow elder, I encourage you and I exalt you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter, we know that Peter is a witness of the life of Jesus Christ. Peter is who or the one who had seen him and he has touched him. As first John 1 says. They had seen him. And it continues to say the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory. We stop there. In the glory. Peter even saw that glory during transfiguration. And it continues to say that he's going to be revealed. Not only have we been partakers of this glory, when he's saying partakers, that means it refers us back to the transfiguration. Then he's saying the partakers in that glory, and that glory is going to be revealed. That's why, I mean, that's how Peter identifies himself. One, as an elder. Two, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He saw him suffer. For example, we are not sure whether Peter went to the cross to see him being crucified. That is not recorded. But there is a possibility that he went there. And when we look at that, Peter has seen Christ in the whole of his ministry. He has denied him so many times. But the one who denied him, this old fisherman who God called him to be an apostle, is the one who is saying, I am a witness of the sufferings of this Savior. He's not just giving them uh, just a narrative or something that never existed, but that is something that is true. That whatever that he's telling the elders to do is something that 
has existed and it's still there. Christ is there. I have seen Christ. I am a witness of his suffering. I have also been a partaker of that glory that was shown during the transfiguration. And that that glory is also going to be revealed. So it is not something that they have just seen and it has ended, but it's something that even in the future, it is going to be revealed. And this is Peter, who lived with Christ himself. In verse 2, it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. If you go back to the book of John, Jesus calls Peter a few times. And every time Peter asks him, of course, Jesus asked him, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know. Lord, you know. Do you love me? What does he say? He continues to repeat, it is Lord you that you know. He keeps on saying, I love you. But he says, now Lord, it is you that you know. And then he continues to say, feed my sheep. If you indeed love me, then go and do what? Feed my sheep. That is the person who is writing here. And that's the same thing he's using here. He's not saying, I am the only one who was called to feed the sheep. I am not the only one. He's saying, even in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. Of course, he's telling them that shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Those shepherds, they are not outside you. They are among you. So, for example, if I'm a shepherd here ministering to you, the, the people that are called here are you. You are the flock. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising what? Oversight. So he's supposed to be an overseer, not under compulsion. It is not like Peter, uh, these elders are forced to go into ministry. It's not like they are forced to go and serve the Lord and feed these people. And of course, as he has been writing all these things, the shepherd already knows what should preach to the people. Already he has explained the gospel to them in the previous verses, telling them to suffer as Christians. So these elders are not people who don't know what they are supposed to preach to the people. What Peter is saying uh, in this verse is that now these elders are to shepherd the flock of God. Another version would say, feed the flock of God. You feed them. And what are they supposed to feed them with? They are supposed to feed them with the truth. And this truth, one, it cannot be improved and it cannot be reduced. It is one truth and it can't change. That what Peter preached, what Paul preached, that is which these uh, shepherds are supposed to do to the people. So when you are looking for someone, for example, who is supposed to be your shepherd, look for someone who is preaching to you the truth of God's word as it has been proclaimed here. And we start with what Christ has done to save sinners from their sins. You and I, we are sinners. And if a shepherd doesn't show people that, those, the flock will not see the need of a savior. These people are suffering. Of course, when you go to the chapter 5, the context is from suffering. That as people suffer, as the Christian suffers in this place, you must make sure in that moment you are shepherding them. You are feeding them so that they will do what? Verse 12. That they will stand firm in the grace of God. That's the goal. We want them to stand firm. So a good shepherd always wants his flock to stand firm. And how will they stand firm? They will only stand firm when they have been fed. And fed with what? With the truth as it has been proclaimed here. 
We are the sheep of God. Christ is our shepherd. Not under compulsion. They are not forced to go and serve the people. But willingly, as God would have you. So when you come to serve, for example, a shepherd come to serve us, how are they supposed to do it? They are supposed to do it willingly, as God would have them serve us. As God would have them look over us, exercise oversight over us, because we are a sheep, we are a flock. Sheep are known to go astray. What does that mean? That if sheep are known to go astray, they need what? A constant oversight. You need to keep on looking at them. Now, are you not only looking at them, but also looking at the wolves? Are they coming? So that the voice of this shepherd is not only one to feed them, but also to guard them from what? The wolves. To protect them from the wolves. How will the shepherd protect them from the wolves? By feeding them. Feeding them with the truth as we've been seeing here. They are to do that how? Willingly as God would have them. But that's how God would have you wanted it. Not like you are forced to come and serve people, but as a willingly uh, uh, person. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So you're not coming here, first of all, you're not forced into it. The second thing, it is not for your own shameful gains, for example. You are not coming to ministry or to serve people in the church because you want money from them. But because you've been called to do what? To shepherd the people faithfully. And it has been on some of you who have read the Christian history. When people want to attack the church, where do they start? They start with the shepherd. They will not first come to the flock. They attack the shepherd. So that as the shepherd go, so will the flock start to go. That's what usually happens. So if a shepherd is attacked outside, for example, by false doctrine, what usually happens? The flock will start to follow the way. So you must be very careful so that you are not a sheep that always goes astray. A sheep that follows everything. You are to follow a shepherd who is faithful. That even if you suffer, you stand firm. So this sheep will not leave you as a pastor because they are suffering. We are not going to suffer with our pastor and they are gone. You must always stand firm. It's not for money. And I think in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter tells me that how preachers will come and they will take hold of your money. They will take you just for money and not for anything else. Not only is it for money, but for other purposes. If a shepherd is in a ministry for the sake of the fame of his name, then he's doing it for shameful gain. Not for the sake of Christ. Then consider not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Eagerly means you do it keenly, carefully. So ministry is not a careless place. It requires hard work, especially for the shepherd. It requires a much study to understand the truth of God's word. So that everything that a pastor preaches to you is entirely what God has proclaimed in his what? Not outside that. He is to do that how? Eagerly. Keenly. There must be much care with that pastor. And he is also discerning pastor. He is able to notice when the congregation is believing something that is not true and warn them. 
All like sheep have gone astray. All like sheep have gone astray. Like what? Like sheep. Sheep are known for going astray. So they need to be checked on. Verse 3 says, Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the, to the flock. You are not called by God to dominate as a shepherd upon the people that you are serving. You are not supposed to do that. Not domineering over those in your charge. Those in your charge, what does that mean? Those entrusted to you. So for example, if you are entrusted to, to, to Lawrence or to Patrick or to Mark, if you are entrusted unto them, they are not supposed to do that in a domineering way. They are not dictators. They are to do that, to do that, being examples to us. They are to be examples. That reminds me of how uh, Peter tells, um, not Peter but Paul, he tells Titus and Timothy. Titus 2.7 Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity. Another version says, And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. That everything that a pastor is to do, a shepherd is to do, is supposed to reflect the integrity of his teaching. So that elders are to be what? Examples. That if you can look to a, to a pastor or a shepherd, you can look unto them and say, this is our example. Of course, not our end or ultimate example, because Christ is, and we'll see that in the next verse. First Timothy 4.12. Paul, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, Let no one despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Set what? Set an example. Good shepherds are good examples. Examples to who? To the flock. Who is the flock? People who have been redeemed and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. They are not just people. They are precious to him. Even in John 17, you remember that prayer that Jesus was making to the Father. That he will make them to be one as him and the Father are one. Jesus is more concerned, Christ is more concerned about the flock, about Christians, more than even the shepherd is concerned. So the desire should be that the pastor is proclaiming to the people the truth, not in a domineering way, because they have been entrusted unto him to serve willingly as God would have them serve. They are to be examples. Verse 4 says, And when the uh, chief shepherd appears, when now the great shepherd, the only true shepherd, the one who is faithful, the one who does not fail, the one who died on the cross, and we are called to come and believe in him, that one, when he comes, verse 4 tells us, and when the uh, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, he, he's taking them out of what? Serving people unwillingly, as if they have, they have been forced into ministry. 
he's moving from that and he's telling them now look to the unfading crown of glory that awaits you now the shepherd isn't just to look at the crown that will be given to him the great thing is not the crown but the crown giver and who is the crown giver here christ the great shepherd is the one who will give that crown to them and peter isn't telling them that in verse 4 that and when the uh, chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory as if it's not something that will come to happen we go back to verse 1 so i exalt you the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be live, uh, revealed to us so many times peter is talking in this uh, chapter or and uh, also in other chapters of a, a crown of glory that will be revealed to us so he's saying and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory that's the promise that is given to a faithful shepherd it isn't for anyone it is for those who will be faithful that this crown is coming to who verse 2 those who are exercising oversight they are careful how they look at the flock as if they are not being compelled or forced to they are doing that willingly as god would have them they are not doing that for shameful gain but they are doing that with much carefulness that's the one that is going to receive the unfading crown of glory that's the person god is. verse 5 says likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders are you a young person you are called to be subject to the elders. Now, the younger here, Peter doesn't really say who the younger here is. But the younger here, one, could be the young members who are elders in the church. They were serving with older in age. So if one is a young elder in age, supposed to respect even those elders who are old in their age. It could also mean younger as the members of the church, the young people. We can be known to be rebellious to our pastors. I've seen that in so, so many uh, places, especially for young people. We are proud. We don't want to learn. Pride will hinder us from learning. But this is a command. And I, 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 I want you to notice the command. This is not like something that it's like I exhort you, I encourage you. It's a command. Like when you look at verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. That's a command. When you go to, for example, verse, um, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the others. Be subject. That's a command. It's an imperative that is given to the young people. So young people are commanded to be subject to the elders. Then he says, clothe yourself, all of you, with what? With humility. All, your, all of you with humility. Now, why are they supposed to clothe themselves with humility? There is one reason given here. God opposes the proud. One reason. Two, God gives grace to the humble. So it's not only are they supposed to clothe themselves with humility because, because God hates the proud or opposes the proud, but two, because he gives grace to the humble. So who is grace given here to? Grace is given to those who 
are humble. To those young people who are subject to the elders, to all of people, the shepherd, the congregation, the young people, everyone in the congregation, they are all to clothe themselves. Like someone will put a garment upon himself or herself to cover him or her. All of you, with humility, to who? To who? According to the verse, to who? To one another. So humility is not something that you show to specific people and you leave others. Humility is supposed to be expressed to all. To all of them, you are shepherd and the members of your fellowship. Clothe all of you with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There is nothing bad like when God opposes you. You may be opposed by many people and that's okay. But when now it is God who is against you and your pride, that's the worst thing that will ever happen in your life. It's very clear here. And Peter is borrowing from the book of Proverbs in, uh, in most here, verses here, on pride and humility. Who does God exalt? Who does God humble? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Then verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God. If you've read the book of Lamentation, the elder laments for his suffering. But he continues to say that it is good that we submit ourselves to the chastisement of the Lord or the punishment of the Lord. We are to do what? To humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. It may be the hand of affliction, but the Bible is saying we must submit to him. We must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, at God's appropriate time, this is not our appropriate time, according to this verse, it is according to God's appropriate time. At that time, what will God do? God will exalt you. Grace given to the humble, pride are opposed by God. So if I'm a proud Christian, does it mean that now I have no hope? There is hope. But the only hope that may come to you, it will come through afflictions, it will come through chastisement. To do what? To take you back to humility. That's why that's why they are suffering. That when you are tempted to be proud. God reminds you who you are. You are but dust and ashes. And that for you to receive my grace, you cannot come to God a proud person. And not only to come to God, but before us, if you are, you are a proud person, God is going to oppose you. He's going to oppose you. You are going to be chastised by the Lord. And that will work for your good. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, at God's appropriate time, He may, He may exalt. Do you want to be exalted by God? Be humble. You don't know more than the other people. If you think 
but you know much, especially those some of us who maybe, for example, you, you know so much, let's say, doctrine and theology and so on. But if you use that to demean other people, God is saying here, that's the person I'm going to oppose. That thing is supposed to humble us. Even if we know the truth and other people don't know the truth, that thing should humble us. At times we should feel like crying, remembering how even God saved us. And you are to remind people, call them. Of course, you are not supposed to be subject blindly. Like, for example, if there is no truth, uh, we need to talk. If there is no truth, we need to do what? To talk. We shouldn't be silent. We need to say, uh, on this area, I think we should check on this. But if it is based on our own evil motives and desires to exalt ourselves, what is going to humble us? And we don't have to wait for that. We can do what? We can clothe ourselves with humility. We can always clothe ourselves with humility. Now, two things that we have seen here. One is shepherd or shepherding the flock of God. Then two, being humble. And this humility is not even for the younger people alone. Even those shepherds are to be humble. That's why they are told in verse 4, and we can read it again. And when the uh, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of what? Of glory. Uh, no, verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being what? Examples. Not domineering. Proud shepherds are what? Domineering. They are just there not to be examples, but for what? For shameful gain. People who are in ministry for shameful gains, they are proud people. So, and also they are commanded by God to be what? To be humble, for God will resist the proud person. But in the due time, what does God do? He will exalt those who are humble. Examples from, that will be helpful for us, especially as uh, those who maybe one day become shepherds here, or who maybe flock to a certain congregation. Things to remind us about what God has done for us and our need for humility. John Newton says that whoever is truly humbled will not be easily angry. A person who is seeking to be humble will not be easily angry. So if you get angry quickly, you are a proud person. And he's saying that whoever is truly humble will not be easily angry. Nor harsh, not supposed to be harsh, or critical of others. He will be compassionate and tender to the infirmities of his fellow sinners, knowing that if there is any difference, it is grace alone which, which has made it. If there is a difference between you and that person you are getting angry towards or harsh or critical to, if you are getting angry of them, if there is any difference between you and that person, it is God's grace. It is God's grace. It is grace alone which has made it. He knows that he has the seeds of every evil in his own heart. So, when you are a proud person, you forget that even deep down in your heart, there is so much evil. So much evil. And under all trials and afflictions, he will look to the hand of the Lord and lay his mouth in the dust, acknowledging that he suffers much less than his iniquities have deserved. If you look at your life, you know what? you have suffered less than you deserve. If God was to punish us for our sins, we would not all be here. We would all be damned by him. Grace 
is what has made that difference. It is God's mercy upon us. And if God has shown mercy to you in so many things, why do you need to be proud? Augustine says that it was pride that changed angels into devils. Pride changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. Humility. Pride is an enemy of grace. Pride is an enemy of grace. Never forget that. That grace will be denied to you if you want to be a proud person. Whether it's a shepherd or a member of the congregation. Are not those who are given uh, to boasting proud? So if you are given to boasting, aren't you a proud person? So if you are known for boasting, the is saying you are a proud person. Your glory is not good. Those who glory in their riches, their hearts swell with their estate. Pride is a, the rich man's cousin. He's a cousin of the rich man. We need not to forget that we are all like Lydia. In Acts 16, when Paul was speaking to them, the Bible says, and God opened the heart of Lydia. Your heart and my heart. To believe this truth, it was opened by God to us to believe. Philippians 1.29 Faith was granted for you to believe in Christ. It was granted by God to believe in Christ. It was granted to us. Those stories should remind us of why we need to remain humble, remembering that God will oppose the proud and he's going to exalt those who are humble. Let us not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let us not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 4. In your pride, in your lack of clothing yourself with humility, what you're doing, you're just opening up yourself. You are like that proud dove that uh, flies on top, only to go and meet uh, the egos there. And that's what pride does. So proud like the dove, we start flying and then you are going to meet the eagle, which is going to consume us. Isaiah 57 verse 15, I dwell in high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. See the one who dwells with the most high? The one of a contrite and a humble spirit. Remember the three things we always say? Guilt, grace, gratitude. And we ask ourselves, what is our only comfort in life and in death? What is our only comfort in life and in death? It says that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has paid for all my sin. That is our only comfort. That we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the cross. 
That's the one we belong to. So therefore, what must we do to live and die in the joy of that comfort? The comfort that you do not belong to yourself, but you belong to the Savior. Three things. And we always say them here, every time I stand here. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. On guilt, how great my sin and misery are. They are so great. You should remember them. Second, grace. How I am set free from all my sin and misery. How I am free. Then that, how I am to thank God for such a deliverance. How I am to thank God. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Guilt, how great and your sin and misery are. Grace, how you've been delivered and set free from that misery and sin. That and how you are to be grateful to God for such a deliverance. Do not forget those things and what the Lord has done. So if you are in this place and you really know that you are not converted, these comforts are not for you. They are only for you if you only repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is a perfect sacrifice for your sin. You must continuously go and seek if you indeed believe the truth that says. And then you cry out to him. I beg with you to to go unto him. He will not deny you. The Bible says that anyone who will come to me, I will be by no means them, by no means cast them out. He's not going to cast you out. Will you come before him, cry out to him, that indeed, Lord, you may save him. Don't forget all those things. God, we want to thank you for, for the grace that you've given us, Lord. And Lord, you've reminded us of our faithful shepherding, Lord, and um, how they are supposed to do that, not uh, domineering or being lords over the people that, Lord, you have given them. Lord, they are to do that willingly, Lord, as you would have them do. Lord, we have a hope that there is a crown of glory that is unfading, Lord, that awaits those who are faithful. Lord, in your word, you have also reminded us to, to remain humble, Lord. And that if we are going to be proud, you are going to oppose us, Lord. Lord, if you are going to be humble, Lord, you are going to exalt us. You are going to give us grace. Lord, we pray that you may give us grace this afternoon, Lord. Where, Lord, we have been proud, Lord. Pray that you may be merciful and be gracious unto us, Lord. From you, Lord, through you and to you are our things. And thank you, Lord, because you've held us in Christ, Lord. You've shown us a grace that none in this world, Lord, can ever give us. For your grace is true. Help us to stand firm in the grace, Lord. That, Lord, we would be hopeful for what awaits us in the life to come, O Lord. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. We can stand together and sing uh, the song Amazing Grace. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may He continuously give you that grace. Praise. Uh -huh.